Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Oh, yes. Making a list, checking it twice. Live from the gleaming, state-of-the-art, streamlined studios of... Does anybody believe that? Of LR Radio USA, nestled in our secret bunker. Somewhere in the Los Angeles area, the following bit of broadcast brilliance is produced by Magic Matt Allen. The f- hang on, the following bit of... Bro- say that again? The following bit of broadcast brilliance. So your uh, alliteration, you, yeah. that's how you think you're going to uh, yeah. get by on alliteration? Yeah, that all authors use alliteration. Oh, that's man. why they call us literary. Yeah, but you're like using that. it off the top, so that's the biggest crutch in history. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> why, am I, why am I here? I don't know. <laughs> because Anthony Flacco is our guest today. That's I know. That's I, I came here because I wanted to talk to Anthony. I thought it was because industry and nature is <laughs> suing us. Yeah, yeah, great, Mark. Yeah. Just do more research. Uh, finish the intros, would you? Okay. Um, uh, hi, I'm the legendary Burl Bear. That is uh, Howard Lapidus, manager to the star. We've got Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker and intrepid yeah. researcher. And Anthony Flacco, who not only uh, is a brilliant uh, author, more or less, but <laughs> mostly more, more than less. More, and uh, he's on TV tonight on a whole entire one-hour special. If you're listening to this in a rerun, it won't make any sense to you. Anthony, speak to me, young man. Anthony, you know, if I was Anthony, I, I wouldn't talk either. No, you wouldn't talk either. No, I, after the intro, I would say, you know, I'm hanging up. Tonight, I don't need these guys. It's over. I am going to go mow the lawn before I talk to these people. Oh, Anthony, 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 call us back if you lost your connection. I hope he does. It's because this case is so cool. Well, it is. I know. The, uh, the guys that uh, the, when I say the guy, I don't mean Anthony Flacco. I mean the uh, this moron. Robert uh, Pierdock. Yeah, this guy. Uh, hey, from our neck of the woods. What did no, he say? He was there. He was like a Tarzana guy. Yeah. And when I, I look at this, and I go, my God, I'm, I'm four feet from Tarzana. But when this took place in 1987, um, where was I? I was in uh, Westwood. That's I was living in Westwood. There he is. There he is. I was living in Westwood and in uh, Buffalo, New York. Because uh, I, I must mention all of that. Because it's, it's uh, hey, the phone's ringing. Maybe it's a uh, yeah, for me and my gal. Don't worry about it. Don't or worry. It might be a telemarketer. It could be. I hope so. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm dying for one of those. I'm dying for that to happen. Anthony. Okay. Yeah, Anthony. right here. I thought you were a telemarketer calling. Yeah. <laughs> well, Anthony, good to have you back. Thank you very much. Good to be here, bro. Especially after seeing your front. Yeah, but oh, I'm bummed. Uh, you get to be a big TV star tonight. Uh, Discovery ID at 9 Eastern, 6 Central. Um, uh, the the story is amazing, and we've got uh, Natasha Piernock appearing for the first Ooh. time since the case was done. She's never appeared in public Yeah, before. I know. I gotta, uh, people may not know the background on this. We were just starting to talk about it, but that is a real coup, if you'll pardon the, the analogy. Yeah, I think we're kind of, we're starting at the end. Let, let's get to who Natasha is and, and the meaning, the real uh, why it's so meaningful that you guys have her on TV tonight. Okay, I'd be happy to. She yeah. is the only survivor... Uh, of an attack by her own father, her biological father, on the family, which was the result of years of a, of a descending state of madness on him. He was fighting the state government in California on corruption charges, and I think he had some truth in the corruption he'd uncovered, but the guy, his battle against them just caused him to descend slowly into complete paranoia, 
eventually, after years of these battles, he decided that uh, the his foes in the government had gotten to his family and turned them against him, and he went on attacked his wife and daughter in the most brutal fashion. Uh, kidnapped them both, beat them with a tire iron, locked them in a car, rigged it with a fire bomb, and set it speeding down the road toward a brick wall. Jeez. Uh, now, unbelievable. Uh, uh, now, okay, just as Howard, if, if, if I can, Anthony, just interrupt for a second. Were they living in, in I know he's from Tarzana. Were they living in Tarzana? No, they were out in the San Fernando Valley farther out. The oh. crime took place near Tarzana, where the uh, the car was rigged. Oh, okay. Because that's kind of overkill. He well, beats well, well, him with a tire iron and then... Yeah, but we're talking about, just, just to set the stage... I don't care about just the to, geography. Well, no, yes, you do for a second, because we're talking about a very, you know, a, a well-seated bedroom community. Yes. Yeah. Where stuff like this doesn't happen. So that, that's why I, I just wanted to put an exclamation point. The neighbors were upset. Well, look, you, you know, these things don't happen in Tarzana. Hope you said neighbors. Yeah, we don't want to upset those neighbors. No. <laughs> no Tarzana. Remember those days? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, this was a family that appeared normal from every, uh, from every aspect. And Robert Piernock, the perpetrator, had worked uh, for the state government for a long time and had also worked for a, uh, an effects company down in Hollywood uh, blowing things up, which oh. is where he got his expertise with firebombs. And firebombs, as it turns out, are his chosen uh, method of execution. After he was arrested, for after fleeing the law for months, he then uh, turned around, uh, put investigators on the case, and had his own defense attorney. He made an attempt on his life, oh. <laughs> as as well as continued attempts on the life of his daughter while he was in jail awaiting trial. So, so he's he's legitimately a loon. There, there's no question about that, correct? Oh, he's, he's certainly insane, but yeah. the thing is he's the most dangerous kind of insan- insane because he can seem personally uh, very normal, and he's very intelligent. He's very verbal. Uh, he's a jailhouse lawyer and, and a pretty good one, I'm sorry to say. Uh, he's been able to manipulate his, his time in prison very effectively with his uh, jailhouse doings. And he reaches out from his prison cell because he has money, and he makes things happen on the outside. He still today is attempting to find his daughter, and she lives in hiding because of it. And uh, it, we should stress, this girl never did anything to anyone. All she ever did was try to stay alive. Right. He projected all of his, his insanity onto her. And all these years later, he cannot, will not let it go. So he, just, just to simplify this for myself, because I'm a three-year-old, bear, bear with me. He felt extraordinarily paranoid and thought his family had turned against him and his world was crashing. So yes. his, his solution was to put the wife and his daughter in a car, rig the car, uh, how did, uh, he got what he beat the crap out of them first, and then put them in the car. Is that the deal? He, he put the, he put them in the car. Once they were in place, he uh, savaged both of them with a tire tool to the face. Uh, they were tied and bound, and uh, and then tied his wife's body upright to the steering wheel, and then rigged the linkage of the accelerator to make the car go and sent it down the road. So uh, the, no, he did. He, excuse me, Howard. I got, I got go to ahead. interrupt here. Go ahead. The guy's in, in the technical term batshit crazy. No kidding. Now. Were there? How come he was judged rational to stand trial? Well, this was the thing. Oh, this because is the he's a jailhouse lawyer, they kept trying to get him not to defend himself or, or to stand up for himself when he had this constitutional right. And as crazy as he is, he still had the right to defend himself. 
And he kept trying to put that right forward, even though it was clear he was nuts. And that's why he tried to have his own attorney killed, because he thought he could do so much better defending himself. Well, that seems to only validate that the guy's not competent to stand trial. That's right. And uh, as, as you'll see on the show tonight, one of the featured pictures from that trial is with Robert Piernock sitting with his hands bound at the defense table and duct tape wrapped all the way around his head because he wouldn't shut up. And, <laughs> and a, ju- a, a judge, can, can you can do that? <laughs> sure. Don't you remember the Chicago 7? I was I was the eighth. Yeah, <laughs> almost can, in time. You can do it. It pushes right up to the very edge of judicial authority. In right. this case, when you read the, the trial transcript, you'll see he disrupted that uh, hearing again and again and again. Was hauled out and brought back in, and so that the taping was really a last resort after a lot of outbursts on his part. But of course, when you just see the picture, you don't know that. It looks like, oh my goodness, this poor man. Being no, Anthony, Anthony was. Didn't they do any psychological testing or verification whether this guy was rational or not? Uh, he had some way. Uh, yes, he was. He was tested by one of the defense doctors. Uh, it, he wouldn't cooperate. He insists and insists to this day that he's perfectly sane. Mm, that's and, sure and sign that he's nuts. He also insists that he's innocent. Well, so, so does everybody, Mark. The, the uh, I do. And I've done nothing. Okay, so he's guilty as hell, Anthony. Oh yeah, I show up, and guilty of that, Anthony. But it's a pleasure to show up today. This case is just a killer, so to speak. It, it is, and and the, the thing that's remarkable about it. I'm so glad this case has no political or racial overtone to it, so that you can just look at the judicial issues here, because everybody who put this guy away were just heroes. And he went after all of them, too. He had investigators trying to kill each and every one of them, including the prosecutor, uh, who's now a judge in downtown Los Angeles. And these people were booking unpaid overtime. They knew this guy had to get off the streets. They knew he would kill Natasha if they didn't get him. And the real story here is the beautiful work that they did. And for once, we can just brag on the authorities and the cops and the detectives. Everybody did right. Everybody stepped up. And because of that, that guy isn't out there to kill you and me right now. Because unlike your your abortion shooter, this guy doesn't look crazy. He doesn't seem crazy. You talk to him, he'll strike you as a balanced person, and that's what makes him so dangerous. It's not the Unabomber. So, so, so uh, j- just again, to put this fine point on, you never know who you're living next door to. Seemingly a, a happy family with a, a two daughters, right? Yes. And yes. living uh, the life. And, a but good it, life. He had good money, too. Now, talk to me about the money, because at one point, just to skip ahead, I know that there was a civil suit where uh, somebody won $11 million from this guy. And not to say that he's got $11 million, but he's got money now. Where did he get his money, the, the, the excessive amount of money? Over the course of the years, as he was descending into paranoia, he brought all these lawsuits against various state agencies acting as his own attorney. So it cost him almost nothing. They kept giving him go-away judgments for the suits. He wasn't really beating them. Right. It was just people saying, okay, here's 10 grand. It's a nuisance, right? Yes, che- he did the same thing with one company, yeah. and he got them to award him a $900 pension, which under the law can't be touched even though he's in jail. The man is sitting there now collecting $900 a month every month of his life. And, of course, in jail, that's fabulous money. He sure. can make anything happen that he needs to make happen. 
Gee, I wow. wish I could do that at 900 a month. Yeah, really? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, all your other bills are taken care of, and all you have to do is sit there and dream up more theories. Now, this is your, your book and the uh, TV special, Deny, are both entitled A Checklist for Murder. Apparently this guy was very well organized, or is well organized. That's the thing that eventually got him caught. He committed the perfect crime. He had it looked uh, rigged so it looked like the state had done the murders to try to frame him. He had a theory that actually held water if you didn't look at it too close. But he was so in love with himself and his planning process that he didn't throw away his checklist. <laughs> and ultimately, that's what got him busted on the very eve of the trial. The prosecutor's got his first murder case. He's panicked. He feels like he's going to lose. He goes into the copy room to sit and go over some files and looks over at boxes of copy paper and sees one with the name Piernock. And he goes, why is Piernock on this copy paper? He opens it. It's a, a box of evidence that got filed with the copy paper instead of down in the evidence Oh, room. my God. He starts going through these pieces of paper and coming across them, uh, find a face mask, get handcuffs, <laughs> rig the car, get statements straight. And he's going, holy crap, it's a checklist for murder, and I found it in the copy room. Wow, that is almost divine intervention. Yes, yes. To, to this day, he shakes his head talking about it. And that really is amazing. So that's uh, Craig Richmond, who was the prosecutor then, and he's now Judge Craig Richmond in downtown Los Angeles in the Superior Court. Um, the investigator on this, Steve Fisk, the lead investigator, what a hero, working 18 hours a day, seven days a week on this case, mostly without pay for the overtime, and uh, tricked Piranock into surrendering and, and brought him down, brought him in. Uh, about, uh, what trick? Tell, uh, tell us about that. Well, he found out, he, he went to Piernock's girlfriend who was aiding him, figured out she was aiding him, tricked her into giving up Piernock's, uh, I don't know if he tricked her, but got her to give up Piernock's location by pointing out, look, if we don't go arrest him, some cop on the beat's going to come across him and maybe panic and shoot the guy. You need to save your boyfriend's life. On that basis, she gave up the location he then went to the location and pretended to be a friend of hers, saying, I'm here to let you know she can't meet you tonight, calling through the door. And once Piernock called back through the door you know, and affirmed that they knew it was him, they crashed in and brought him down. Mm. But he was upset. Was the girlfriend around when the murder took place, or did she come after when he was in hiding? No, she was there the whole time and uh, had been helping him to evade the police on his escape. Uh, ultimately... Charges against her were dropped when it was that the judge decided she was trying to help him, but she legitimately thought he was innocent and didn't know he had done any of the murders and she had no part in the planning. And part of the, I think what the judge recognized, too, is that this guy had that ability, like the BTK killer, to live a completely normal life, even with his wife and family, and hide his uh, sociopathic personality. Well, he sure didn't hide it when they caught him. I mean, <laughs> what was his response to them finding this checklist? Uh, well, of course, uh, he, he says they faked it. They took lists of his and added things to them. Uh, he has an explanation for everything, every single thing. And if you're the kind of person who wants to believe that all our government does is frame people, he will play right into your paranoia, and he'll show you page after page of documents and facts. But you know what he can't do? He can't answer simple questions about where he was at the time of the crime and why they were in his car. His wife never drove his car. He was one of those guys, don't touch my car. It was a big Cadillac. And yet she was supposedly in it 
uh, drunk driving at night with her daughter and crashed the car. Did she have her own car? Yeah, she had her own car and didn't drive at night. She had problems with her vision and didn't like driving in the dark. And she was a teetotaler. So. No, they should have taken that into consideration. Wait yeah. a minute. Wait, I have a Cadillac and my wife is crazy. Hold it. You've <laughs> got a hell of an idea. <laughs> well, the only, reason, the only reason he didn't get away with it is she was tied to the steering wheel. As it was speeding down the road, her body slumped over and turned the car to the right. And it came off the road and hit the telephone pole before it built up enough speed to detonate the firebomb underneath. Oh. That's why there were even bodies left to find. If his plan had worked, there would have been no evidence to search. Oh, Just my God. Mark action. Boyer has a question for you, Anthony. All right. Um, we have a picture of the uh, car here. On our Hold research. it up to the microphone so the audience can see. Yeah, uh, why are you doing pictures? For, uh, <laughs> let him answer the question. question. No, in all seriousness, ask the why question. are you doing... No, Howard, let him ask the question. Let me ask the question. So, um, so he, he sets the car in motion... Yes. Um, he has all this experience with firebombs. Did we ever find out why it didn't go off? Yes, it didn't. The car didn't reach sufficient speed for the impact bar that he had by the gas tank. So it's like speed. The tank. Ah. It's like that movie Speed where the bus uh, goes under 50. Yeah, it goes under 50, yeah. it's a, it blows up. Yeah. Yeah, in this case, it needed to be over 50, and but it, it pulled up. off the road and hit the telephone pole. Even so, you, you see from the picture, it hit the telephone pole with such force, it snapped it in two and broke it off. Mm. But that wasn't quite enough. The, uh, the book also has pictures underneath where you can see the gas tank. The cutter bar that he had rigged to puncture the tank was, oh, maybe just a millimeter away from breaking the skin of the tank. Well, but so, he, but he killed, the wife was dead when that happened. Is that right? Yes. Or, yeah, okay. yes. She, she was already dead. Now, the daughter, and we're talking Natasha, right? Yes. The daughter, um, what kind of inju injuries did she sustain and, and survive? She had the same injuries as her mother in that she was thoroughly beaten around the face and the head with a tire iron, but she survived for only one reason. Her mother was out cold. They were both bound and gagged when they were attacked, so they couldn't raise their hands in defense wounds. But her mother was already out cold and didn't move her head, so the blows all fell in the same area of her skull and broke through. In Natasha's case, all she could do was thrash her head from side to side, but what that did was divide the blows around her skull so it didn't puncture and didn't cause the brain damage it did to her mom. She was still, you know, a millimeter from death when they got her, but she did survive. So what you, you will have her in. You will have her on TV tonight. She's on for the first time. When I first did the book and all the, the original stuff, she just wouldn't go anywhere near it. And at first, I thought maybe she was being a little dramatic about her so-called, you know, fear of her father. But man, as I researched this thing, I thought she's got it dead on. She needs to stay totally under the ra radar until this man is dead. Wow, what a way to live. And, yeah, and physically, if, if I can be as gruesome to ask the question, uh, did she sustain life-damaging uh, injuries? Uh, no, physically, uh, she, the plastic surgeons worked on her and restored her face to uh, normal if you look at it. If you feel around her forehead and stuff, it feels kind of like there's gravel under the skin from the broken up bones. Yeah. But she's able physically to go on and lead what would be a normal life. But, of course, the problem is psychologically she's decimated by it. I mean, she's, oh, well, to yes. this day, yeah. how, how, how old is she? How old is stress on this must be severe. How old is she? Well, uh, she'd be pushing 40 now. It's been 20 years since What's then. her life like now, do we know? Uh, I, I can't even tell you much about it because it might, it might give away something about it, but I can tell you she still lives alone. She lives in hiding. Um, she struggles every day. 
and uh, and, and with the more you know about the load she's carrying, the more you understand. I think it's wonderful that she's grown up to be a, a gentle and a peaceful person. She's never been in trouble with the cops. She doesn't uh, uh, have any kind of a history that her father does. She had the terrible misfortune to be born into this kind of a family. I mean, wait till you hear her talk about it. It really is chilling. You're looking you, forward to that. You'd think it was an actress, but it's not. Are you do, uh, who does the interview? Uh there are, it's an off-camera producer doing the questions, so you don't really hear the person. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Great crew, too. Yes, they did a terrific job. It's Nancy Glass Productions. Yeah, they're they great. Do, yep. They do great work. They managed to squeeze the best images out of their budgets. I'm not sure why they do so well and other people don't, but I was very glad they picked up this story. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> we're all want, glad. Did you want to get me going? I can answer that question for you. Yes, how do they do it, Art? Well, there's some some people are more professional and smarter than others. <laughs> well, Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, come on. I mean, well, no, I, I worked with them also, well, uh, and I was very impressed. So mm-hmm. uh, I know it's going to be... Uh, yeah, but you're easily impressed. Howard. Yes, well, I'm easily impressed, yes. <laughs> if you on the show, I must be. That's well, Tantor Books just uh, had me read the uh, audio book of Czech list for murder has just come out like in the last week or so oh great and i'm very grateful to them too and i'm hoping that tonight's show will cause some people to want to listen to the book if they uh, if they don't read the more and more people i'm finding now <laughs> seem to tell me they're they're listening to books on drive time and, and giving up reading which lot, breaks lot, my lot. heart but at least i'm glad they're well they're hearing the, the word they're that you write the words and they hear them what's the difference as long as they somebody there's an audience it's great yeah, yeah and they, they all get, pay royalties so so they can do that now right at this very moment somebody can download that and listen away yeah they can the, the book is up now it's a checklist for murder and it's the audio form and you get it through Amazon, I suppose? Yeah, Amazon or anywhere. Uh, Audible. Audible books or wherever you get uh... Got it. Okay. Well, now, do you get, uh, being as that you wrote, literally wrote the book on the checklist for murder, Anthony Flacco, yes. uh, does this uh, Mr. Piernock uh, communicate with you? Does he send you hate mail? Well, um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, he does. I-, I don't want to say more about it because I don't want to give a he or his minions too much satisfaction. I'll just tell you this. Uh, when the book originally came out, uh, several months later, I got what's called a duty-to-warn phone call from the district attorney's office. They arrested a guy who had been Piernock's cellmate. He was out on parole uh, on some theft or shoplifting charge, and he had uh, a list of three addresses, names and addresses in his pocket of people who were involved in the case, the district attorney, uh, the judge, and me. Uh, but fortunately, because of his stupidity, he was arrested before he could take any action. They the said, we were calling you because we don't know he's the only one out there. Yeah, so, that's, so, a real, yeah. that's a real consideration, being a true crime writer, is that you're always uh, potentially in, in danger. When you say his minions, who are we talking about? Well, uh, he has a website you can, you can look at. Somebody has built and is running, maintaining that website for him. And he's able to get people to do these things. Either he can buy them off. Or he can convince them uh, uh, to share his paranoia. You know, they feel like, ah, oh, we're standing up against the corrupt establishment. Let's fight this corrupt government. <clears throat> it's fine with me if you want to fight corrupt government, but you're not going to do it through Robert Piernock, you know, any more than you're going to do it through Charles Manson. Yeah. And uh, hey, Piernock's in for life? He's in for life without parole, yes. Okay. That's a good good amount of time. Hopefully it ends soon. He's been able, he's been able to manipulate the system since he went, you know, they put him away in Pelican Bay, maximum security, isolation. Um, he somehow got out of that for sleep apnea. 
The oh, guy snores. Listen, to keep people from having that, we're going to take a 60-second break. We'll be right back with Anthony Flacco on True Crime Uncensored. eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. I didn't know it could do that. Because one trip to the forest can spark a world of difference. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go, like hiking, canoeing, fishing, or camping. Or create your own adventure with family and friends and you might just see this. Your moment's out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. That's discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Frank Hagan, the gay guy from Outlaw Radio. If you're on a cell phone, and I know you do because you probably got Grinder on there, but it's time for you to add another app. That app would be for Outlaw Radio through the courtesy of radioloyalty.com. My suggestion is that you upload that app for free, mind you. Yes, totally free app. In order to be able to listen to us, the Demons of Decadence, every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 6 Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight Time. And you'll have the opportunity to listen to us smoke, drink, and interrupt each other, which we do a really good job of doing. So once again, RadioLoyalty.com to pick up your free app of Outlaw Radio. Once again, this is Frank. So get off a grinder and get on to Outlaw. Hi, I'm the legendary Burl Bear. This is the part of the program where I get to talk about my wonderful books. (laughs) December 22nd is the release of Headlock, a private eye mystery. A paranoid recluse hires former rock and roll disc jockey (laughs) Jeff Reynolds. Who's now a private eye? Who's never the case more complex than a six-pack of Pepsi? To say, Jeff, is it safe to come out of the house? The answer is no. <laughs> that settles that. That comes out December twenty-second. Headlock: A Jeff Reynolds Mystery by Burl Bear. And of course, you can still buy all my uh, other literary masterpieces, including Man Overboard, the counterfeit resurrection of Phil Champagne, which is also available as an audiobook for those of you who have ears. You can listen. It's a treat for people of all ages. And now I suggest we uh, mosey back over to the Lighten Up Lounge and grill Anthony Flacco like a swordfish about a checklist for murder. Back to true crime, uncensored. Yep, that's what they all say. Well, they do say that, and we are, in fact, the number one true crime show in North American Internet and uh, Terrestrial Radio. With Burl Bear? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh, and uh, we let uh, Dan Zupanski uh, have uh, Newfoundland. Guys Canada. from Winnipeg. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Okay. 
Yeah, we love Dan. And Howard Lapidus. And we got well, Mark over in the corner. Anthony, Blanco, yeah. Checklist for Murder. Now, this book originally came out in 1995. Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. Yeah. But he's not in the book. Uh, the, the newer edition, is, you got some like new stuff in there? Yeah, there's a whole new afterword written for it, wherein I've caught people up on what's been going on with Piernock, as well as the other people in the case since it was put down. And I also then go back through his website, uh, where he you know, lies all about the so-called system being rigged against him, and uh, unravel his claims. Well, this is something I wanted, I wanted to touch on here, is that you're known for your detail work and your research, which I really admire. Thank uh, you. Nothing slipshod about your stuff at all. Uh, did you talk to any of these uh, conspiracy theory people or, or the, 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 his supporters? Uh, I know you had access to the police records. So were you able to really get in there and debunk their stuff? Well, uh, no, I never talked to any of his supporters. And even today, I have no interest in talking to them because talking to paranoid people is just boring. Yeah, it also uh, makes you nervous. Yeah, you don't <laughs> learn anything. And they just, it, it, once they realize you're not on their side, you just become, you know, part of the conspiracy against them. And I don't plan to interview any more paranoid people. They're all the same guy. Yeah. They give you the same crap. However, I, I interviewed everybody around this case friends, neighbors, employers, em, uh, fellow employees. And, you know, when this case first came on to me, I wasn't sure he was guilty. And I thought, this could be the great American story. If this guy really is innocent, the little guy against the system, all he wants to do is save those beleaguered taxpayers from, having, from getting ripped off. But what do they do? They not only frame him, they, they, they murder his family so that even if his information gets out about corruption, nobody will believe it because he's framed for murder. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that would be a great story. But the more I interviewed and the more I found out about this guy, I thought, yeah, it's a great story, but it's fake. It's, yeah, it's, it's not, not his story. True. Yeah. Yeah, it's maybe it's uh, Gary Webb's story. Uh, what was it that uh, tripped you over the line to go, this guy is guilty? Uh, you know, you know, it was writing to Piernock himself from his prison cell. He started writing back, and I would just ask him very simple questions, and he would never answer. Instead, he'd go off on these tangents about oh, crime scene photos and then the rate at which bodies cool and stuff. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, but 4.30 a.m., where were you specifically? And he wouldn't answer. And finally, when I pressed him and said, Mr. Piernock, if you won't answer these few simple questions, I'm not going to put your statements in the... He then announced his revelation that I, too, am part of the uh, statewide conspiracy <laughs> against him. So when, when your name is on a list, uh, what in your, you know, you close your eyes at night, what do you think about? I mean, uh, is there fear? Well, there isn't, there isn't fear, but there's concern. And I think anyone who writes crime, if you haven't taken steps to protect yourself personally, in my opinion, you're being naive. Um, there are there are people who can and will strike out at you for no other reason their egos don't care for the truths you've put that's right so you do have to take and I, of course i do I, I don't want to talk about the steps i take but right. i take a lot of steps right. for personal protection i hope any of you who write crime would do the same regardless of your thoughts about guns or whatever that you do whatever feels right to you to make sure you've done extraordinary means to take care of yourself. Well, Burl, Burl hangs out with me for an hour on Saturdays. Yeah, that that's scares good. the hell out so of everybody. That scares everybody. <laughs> Drives away any detractors. Hey, you know, speaking of conspiracy theories, I don't know if you're aware of this. It might be digress for a moment. But according to an internet website, uh, yours truly, Burl Bear, Matt Allen, who is our producer, Howard Lapidus, you know, and Mark Boyer, and uh, Attorney Don Waldman, and uh, Private Eye Fred Wolfson, who's been on the show several times and has written some books with me. We are all part 
of the George W. Bush Saudi royal family Nazi conspiracy. Wow. I didn't even know that. And I was stunned to find this out. Uh, and the guy goes on in great detail. Uh, but because of the book, I wrote Fatal Beauty, and he finds all these reasons of things I say in the book that indicate that we are part of this conspiracy. So he's got me on this list. Well, this is back from uh, because you do the show, right? then you're automatically part of it. I see. But he's just got it all nailed down, and it's fascinating to follow the linkage in his mind of how he comes up with this. And it's pretty easy, because there's only so much degree of separation between people anyway, right? That's so right. if if uh, any connection at all indicates conspiratorial activities. That's right. And this is why when you have an intelligent person who's also paranoid, uh, a number of psychiatrists have told me it's the most difficult thing to treat because the closer you get to any truth, the more you convince them that you're part of the conspiracy right. against them. Yeah, Arthur Goldwag. Uh, there's a fellow named Arthur Goldwag out of New York uh, who wrote a book called The New Hate where he, he shows that all the different uh, you know uh, hate groups and their different theories from the Rothschilds to this to that to the other Birchers whatever and uh, it's the same stuff over and over and he mentions that the more evidence you bring that the theory is false the more they cling to it that's right yes you're only helping them with your evidence. <laughs> yeah. Well, this just, this just proves. <laughs> well, this is why Natasha's stance as being afraid to, like, come out publicly, even after all these years, is perfectly reasonable. Because in the paranoid mind, time doesn't pass. This guy's level of rage, his furnace of rage burns just as hot today as the day they convicted him. And that's what she knows about her dad, and I, I quite agree. I think she's right. You know, my partner, Charlene Martin, as producer on this show... And she, too, understands that she stands in the way of Pernock's rage. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyone who deals with this guy gets their name on the list, too. But when it comes down to it, for all of us who are crime writers, true crime writers, you have to ask, are we going to let psychopaths sit in their jail cell and dictate what we yeah, do? Yeah, there's terrorism, basically. Yes. Yes. And so, no, it does. It's not like I'm macho and I don't think bullets bounce off of me or any of that crap. It's just if push comes to shove and I have a truth to tell, as I'm sure you gentlemen feel the same way, you tell it. You tell yeah. it. Well, this is uh, the, the fellow we had on. Uh, uh, I'm sad to say, and I apologize if he's listening, that his last name escapes me, but he wrote, wrote about the Franklin scandal. And the, the, the day he began investigating it, he, got his, he had his life threatened. Yes. And he said, at that moment, I knew I was on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that's, that's true. That, but that's true. But we've all had that happen to us. We're all aware of that. You know, that's just one of the... That's a strange thing to, to do a, a, something for a living, if you can call this a living, <laughs> for a career that uh, can be life-threatening. <laughs> Anthony, what about the sister? Uh, the sister, for she was younger at the time, and she had been, uh, he had left her at his girlfriend's house to spend the night on the night of the crimes. And so she was really never involved in any way. Uh, she was still a little girl. And in Piernock's mind, you're okay as a little girl because you're still malleable. Natasha was his favorite thing in life when she was a little girl. But when they get old enough to start saying no to daddy and developing their own interests, that's when they join the enemy. The younger sister wasn't old enough to be considered the enemy yet. She just kind of stood back from it all. But, of course, she had her family destroyed and ripped out from underneath her. How were they uh, raised from that moment? Well, yeah, who I took him in? 
Yeah, well, they had uh, relatives who took in the younger sister. Uh, Natasha turned 18 during the course of the trial, so there was really nothing the state could do for her, and she's been on her own ever since. Wow. You, know, the, the, you heard about the $11 million judgment you made, yeah. which was one. Her attorney, uh, Victoria Doom is her name, won that suit for Natasha, but it, it's entirely symbolic. There is no $11 million. It's the O.J. Simpson thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's a symbolic thing, and it just uh, gives you some emotional closure, but it's not going to take care of Natasha, though. Whatever she's doing right now today for money, she's doing hands and mouth. Is, um, is Mark has sisters a question in wait. contact? What's the question, Mark? Are the sisters in contact? Do they I, have a relationship? I, I don't know. They didn't at the time of the crime. I've not. I've never been in touch with the youngest sister. Uh, she didn't want anything to do with the book or the project, and I respected that and left her alone. Uh, my concern for Natasha is that I, I fear she's isolated from just about everybody. That's a shame. It doesn't mean she's living as a recluse. It means there's an emotional shell that she had to form to live, to survive, and that thing, I think, repels people just like uh, Scotchgard. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, yeah, you have to be that way. If you live under the continual threat, you're going to be tracked down and done away with. You know, it's this, I mean, the post-traumatic stress of just being whacked to the head with a tire iron is enough to put me off. Well, yes, and uh, here's, oh, let me just say, I, I, I misspoke on the, on the times of the show. It's 9 o'clock Eastern tonight, and it's 6 o'clock Pacific time, 6, and it'll repeat again at 9. Yeah, Pacific. 8 o'clock Central. Yeah, I don't want to steer people to the wrong to the wrong. Yeah, show, let's, let's when mention you, When the... you listen to Natasha speak, you can tell she still lives under that, that trauma today. This thing hasn't gone away, and, and she rightly sees that the danger is still there. Back to the TV show, with the audience... Uh, is looking and scrolling. It's the show's called. Uh, it's Epic Mysteries is the name of this show. And a checklist for murder. It's kind of like it's an Epic Mysteries colon checklist for. But murder. what they'll see on their on their guide grid is uh, Epic, Epic Mysteries. Epic Mysteries. Okay. On yeah. uh, Discovery ID, which is one of my favorite networks of all time. Discovery ID channel and the show yeah. is Epic Mysteries. They have a different one each week. Uh, Charlene Martin produces uh, co-produces a number of those shows because uh, she's in touch with so many terrific true crime writers and great stories. She's a wonderful publisher. Well, she's an agent. And, or, yes. A provocateur. Yes. <laughs> she provoked me. <laughs> I bless her heart. I know who she is, and how about that? Uh, well, so do I. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and so does Anthony. <clears throat> and he she, knows she better than anybody. She doesn't know who I am, so she better yeah, watch every out. Time, every time I speak at writers' conventions and they ask me what the secret is, I tell them and they just don't listen. I say, look, you've got to sleep with your agent. Sleep with your agent. Just do it. It works for me. <laughs> Good thinking. <laughs> I know so, uh, wherever your, your agent, agent is though. right now, book a room. <laughs> wow. A whole, you know, as, a, as a manager, uh, uh, Mel Berger, you're going to sleep with Mel Berger? <laughs> oh, no, hell no. Man, oh, man, how'd that name get in here? Because he was one of my first agents. I know Mel very well, you know. But, well, but uh, no, I, I don't sleep with clients. Well, see, the, maybe the magic hasn't happened yeah, for that well, reason. See, after 89 days with Paul Abdul, <laughs> he, uh, he didn't know what to I do. I had absolutely, you know, people say, you know, what do you do with Paul? Did you have yeah. feelings uh, in that? I said, were you insane? Well, yeah, if you were insane, you would have. If I was, maybe I would have. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, it's highly, you, you do it, this is a professional business. Uh, the, the fact, Anthony, that you, you, you crossed the line, God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> which came, uh, almost said which came first. Uh, <laughs> was she your agent before you had a relationship or 
she no, no, no. She she became an agent several years after we got together. Oh, okay. That's a good cover story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's always been in show business, so. You know. yeah. 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 She was a producer then and just yeah. moved into agenting because when you see the joy she takes in helping these writers, and in some cases she's literally made their lives and careers, and you see Charlene is just about as thrilled as the writers are when this happens, and that's been the engine of her success. She genuinely loves helping uh, good writers. Is oh, it, is I want to be a good writer because she genuinely helped me several times. There you go. No, there's no discerning, discerning days. By the way, bro, you owe me some commission. So I only uh, haven't got the check yet, by the way. You told me last I, night. Well, I thought Barb said the check came, but it turns out she was. Bro calls in. me last night, Anthony, and I'm in aisle seven at Gelson's. <laughs> I take the call. It's Pearl. I figure something's up. Hey, and he goes, hey, "Good news! I'm going to lay some cash on you tomorrow because I got paid from the job." And and I'm sitting there, and I go home, and I I tell Genius, Genius is that's uh, his uh, almost ex-wife, right? And uh, I, I tell her she's not getting any part of it because Burrow pays in cash. It's great. <laughs> I, I flaunt her. Yeah. I flaunt things. And now like you were looking forward to that money today. And, and now I, I haven't got that money. And I, I was going for a, 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 a Korean massage. What the hell's the matter with you? I'm sorry about that. Maybe I'll just have to do the massage myself. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Let's get back to our guest. Let's get back to our, our guest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> tell Charlene to tell him to pay me before. But hey, Anthony took us down that road. Yeah. He did. He really did. Well, you know, he's taking us down some pretty bizarre roads. The road wow. out of hell was one he took us on. I remember that. Woo. That was a hell of a story and a hell of a book. Tesla, too. Can we take three seconds to talk about Tesla? I've always got three seconds. He was an electrifying fellow. Yes, he certainly oh, was. Gosh. Now, Anthony, I don't know if this is in the book, but I heard that he used to entertain people by putting on lightning displays. Oh, sure. That was a big part of his uh, big part of his laboratory. And in fact, a lot of home hobbyists today build copies of his Tesla coils. Yeah. I've seen some great YouTube shows of these guys out in their driveway making lightning snaps using the Tesla coil. Of course, when he was doing it, no one had ever seen anything like it before, and a lot of people suspected that it was witchcraft or sorcery. Uh, when you're in 1900 and the greatest source of illumination in your life is a candle or an oil lamp, and suddenly some guy starts shooting lightning bolts into his power, <laughs> well, I define your life. Well, I, I remember that he originally was going to light the uh, Paris uh, World's Fair from New York. Well, he did. He did light the uh, Chicago World's Fair, and uh, and who did he have throw? The, I forget who he had throw the switch. You know, some politician came in to uh, to absorb the glory. Uh, his whole his whole story is amazing because this guy solved our energy crisis a hundred years ago, and the crooked businessmen around him just took that solution and wadded it up and threw it away. Figures. It's a jaw-dropper. It's just a jaw-dropper. And I don't know about you guys, but when I was in school, I was always told that Marconi invented the radio. Which he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Which he did. Our own Supreme Court declared Nikola Tesla the inventor of the radio and the owner of the patent. Long before I went to school, and yet nevertheless, I was always told that the Italian Marconi invented it. I was, hey, Anthony, be proud. One of your fellow Italians... Well, that's the same thing with the... Uh, it's in Godfather 3, but it happens to be true, <laughs> that uh, Alexander Graham Bell didn't invent the telephone. A Canadian did. No, 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 no. Uh, who Don Amici. No, Don, Don, Don Amici did not invent the telephone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, God. <laughs> no, Michi, uh, Don Amici stole... Okay, Alexander Graham Bell stole that from an Italian-American. 
Well, we may have. I don't know that story. But yeah, you know, no, that's uh, that. That is that is turns out to be and, quite and, factual. And Columbus didn't discover America, and Chinese people are good drivers. No, and no, they make no, pasta. No. Yeah, but the Koreans aren't. <laughs> <laughs> and Starbucks coffee is worth every penny you pay. Oh, now yeah, we're talking. Oh, now we're talking. <laughs> and at McDonald's where their slogan there. is, we do it all for you, you bust your own table. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, was, uh, correct me, but, uh, was Tesla involved in the fight for uh, uh, electrifying the country with uh, Edison? Oh, absolutely. He was the prime adversary. Uh, Edison's, uh, it, was, it was called the War of the Currents. Mm-hmm. Edison very much wanted the whole country on, on D.C., but, you know, Edison was doomed from the start. He was never going to win for the simple reason that if you have two wires made of copper going from the East Coast to the West Coast, one of those wires carries DC current, the other carries Tesla's AC current that we use today. The DC wire has to have a transformer to up-pump the signal every mile. So you'd have to build 3,000 of those. On the AC wire, you build maybe half a dozen. And for that reason alone, Edison just couldn't accept the fact he was never going to win the, the war of the currents. But he fought like a banshee. Yeah. Well, see, I was because I must have been confused because I thought it was the other way around in terms of who won. Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, the, uh, Tesla's technology won. Tesla himself lost because he trusted his business partners and they ripped him off uh, like a fool. He died too poor to pay the light bill on the system he invented, uh, engineered, and installed at Niagara Falls. Well, that's not right. <laughs> but it's I common. Don't think so. And I lived there. That's where I grew up. See, it's all Howard's fault. It's my fault. Yeah. Mm. You can always, in the final analysis, blame, blame Howard. Me. Please do, yeah. And uh, well, I, well, hold on a second. I wanted to ask you about something else, too, because uh, we'll, we'll, we'll mention Checklist for Murder again. But uh, we had you on at the time that you did the book, Impossible Odds. And that is just such an incredible story. Would you mind just giving us a short skim on that one so people know to buy it? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, This is the story of Jessica Buchanan, an American aid worker from Iowa, who went down to Somalia to try to help children caught up in the uh, the child wars down there where they're being kidnapped and forced to become soldiers, as young as uh, girls and boys as young as seven and eight years old, being forced to use AK-47s and commit these atrocities. Well, she goes down there and, and works fine for a few years, meets another aid worker. They get married. They're working together down there. When she's kidnapped one day by Somali uh, land pirates <coughs> and, uh, and held out in the desert, out in the open for 93 days while they negotiated a ransom, their initial demands were for $45 million. <laughs> um, but it was a fascinating case, and it turns out the, uh, the drones, the oversight that, the, that we have down there knew about this kidnapping, and President Obama was actually informed within about two hours of the kidnapping. And throughout those 93 days, these guys were monitored by drones, and the White House was on the situation, so they finally ordered uh, a Navy SEAL attack on the 93rd day because Jessica was dying, her kidneys were failing, uh, and the, the SEALs moved in under cover of darkness and killed every one of the uh, kidnappers and got Jessica and her partner out safely. And it was wow. those, <coughs> excuse me, perfect, uh, perfect situations where all the right people got put down and all the good people got out, and, uh, and it was a great call. Good. I'm glad our president and the SEALs were on top of that one. Yes, yeah, because it, most of the time these things turn out badly, they end badly, and I know nobody you know, from the White House on down wanted to do that raid because, as the book says, the odds were impossible against that kind of success. But uh, it's greatly to the credit of this Navy SEAL team. It just went in like masters. Yeah, well, they're 
Very well trained. Although I had a Navy SEAL uh, tell me at one time, he said when that everything he did while he was a Navy SEAL was, he says, no matter what you read in the paper, he says, everything that at least we did when I was in there was either about drugs, diamonds, or oil. Yeah. That's the problem. If you become a SEAL, I realize these guys have to be practically superhuman to do that job, but then you come down to, yeah, but who's giving you the orders and what is it they're telling you to do? It's a big question if you work for them. On one hand, you want to fight for the country, for your neighbors, for your homeland, but then you find out sometimes you're being used to protect big oil or something. Yeah, uh, or, or bring in uh, massive amounts of marijuana or <laughs> cocaine or whatever. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, well, the corruption is corruption. As yes, Mr. But this is one story where you can feel great about everybody involved. Yeah. The only corruption was from the bad guys, and I still think about it today. You know, she had nine guys sleeping right around her, close enough to touch, armed with AK-47s. Even with a raid going on, all anybody needs is a half a second to swing a rifle over and blow her head off. Mm-hmm. But the SEALs were able to make this happen so fast and so effectively that no one had time to even get off the shot to kill her. Wow, that's amazing. Really amazing. It's so, a great story. You, you feel for her, of course, what she went through, the torture of what she went through, but it is, it is a great story about when America gets it right. You know, we're always hearing about everything we get wrong, and okay, if we get it wrong, we get it wrong, but this is one time that everybody involved got it right, except for the kidnappers. There are no bad guys. There's no corruption. There's no dereliction of duty. There's none of that. There's just these people all standing up and doing a great job, and who doesn't love to tell a story like that? I do. I love to tell a story like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, most of the stories I tell are about people doing bad things. Yeah. They're easier to find. Yeah. Oh, there's never a shortage. <laughs> never, never a shortage. Uh, tonight is the night, uh, 9 o'clock, uh, East, Pacific and Eastern, both. Or am yes, I off and, on the time? But it'll also be on at 6 Pacific because that's the same time it's going right. on. Right. 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, Pacific time and 9 o'clock tonight uh, Eastern time and 8 o'clock Central time. And if you happen to live on that little island up uh, by in Canada, Newfoundland, <laughs> I don't know what time it is there. They're on the half hour. Uh, but in any event, that's tonight a checklist for murder on Epic Mysteries, which is going to be a great show. And I'm very uh, going to set my DVR for this one. Uh, I'm very eager to see the high production values uh, that they put into this show. But what you'll also see is, is the high values of the people that they have doing the commenting that, that were involved in this case. And you'll see here again, this is what it looks like when people get it right. You know? Now, you're when, going to be tweeting, right? Yeah, we're going to live tweet throughout the show. It's at Anthony Flacco. Uh, mm. We've got a hashtag of a checklist for murder. And so I'll try to answer whatever questions I can, and I'm sure a few of Pirnox fans will call in oh, and let yeah. me know that I'm part of the conspiracy. Yeah, you're just one of the you. You are <laughs> because first of all, you're part of my conspiracy as well because you're on my show. Yes, well, you know, as, as all of us involved in the conspiracy say, we're still waiting for our check. Yeah, yeah, and, no uh, kidding. In fact, that was the first question I, I asked the uh, the guy who wrote the book, the new hate about all the different conspiracy theories. So yeah. he said, did, did you cash your check for the international Jewish conspiracy? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're still waiting. Uh, <laughs> Where's mine? A lot of money out there being held by somebody. Yeah, well, you know, as it's I mentioned just the other day, if if it's true that, uh, of course, we Jews do control show business, why don't I have a high-paying gig? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> because you're a communist. <laughs> I mean, let's get it straight. 
Well, let's call it a spade a shovel. I mean, come and, on. And you're not a Jew, you're a, but you're Baha'i. But he's not important to you because right. you're a commie. You're a commie. Oh, that explains yeah, it. You're not going to get money if you don't want money. I want money. No, you, you say I it. I want it legally. You have to. No, no, I've had no. it before. But, we'll get but it I again. spent it as fast as I get it. That's it. <laughs> Matt, you can relate to that, can't you? No. No? no. <laughs> Anthony Flacco is new. Yeah, yeah we, we could probably sit and talk for hours about stuff. I, you, you said something early on about this case had no racial overtones. It was clean. It was a good case. Let's talk about cases today that have racial overtones, not specifically, but just your opinion about the way things are going and in, in, in what we see now as Americans. Well, we seem to have lost the ability to, to have discourse, and we've lost a lot of what we consider our values. We now have big arguments going, this is a value that's not a value. This is a good value that's a bad value. And it's becoming a tower of Babel in terms of national discourse. That's why I think it's a relief when, as a writer, you get a story like this that has very clear lines of good guys and bad guys. Because, as we know, we can get into an easy debate over politics or religion, but we won't solve anything. We'll raise a lot of dust. People will go away angry, and nothing's any better when we're done. Whereas, when you have a, a story like this one with real clear good guys and bad guys, you do get some sense of uplift from the story. You get some sense that maybe the wheels aren't completely off the bus, and we still have people in key positions out there who will do their jobs and do it right, and who aren't just cor- looking for a, a personal score. That's what, well, that's what I love about the people in this case. They weren't just looking for a personal score. Their idea of what life is includes murderers not getting away with attacking their families. Is there a, yeah, is a, there a, is there, point there. <laughs> is there a hero in this case? Well, yes. Uh, it's Her name is Victoria Doom. And even with a name like that, she is the good guy and she's the big hero in this. Uh, she ran, Her practice was bankrupted by her. Piernock tried to kill her a number of times. She had to move out of the state. Uh, she keeps a shotgun under her desk the whole time now. But she represented Natasha for free. She's the one who got that judgment for Natasha. And she's the one who set up Natasha in the life that she has now so that she could live anonymously. Interesting uh, case. Very interesting case. Watch Anthony, it on TV Thank tonight. you so much for being on the show today. Everybody, you, watch, see, watch Checklist for Murder on Investigation Discovery Epic Mysteries. Tonight, tonight. Tonight, tonight, tonight. tonight. Anthony, come back and join us again. I hope you do. I'd love to, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thanks thank a lot. you. Hey, Burl. Yeah. Um, what's, what's next? next? The invention of the universe. That's right. <laughs> well, that's a big bang. <laughs>